Today I want to talk to you about uh, our pioneer of perfection. Our pioneer of perfection. We're coming to the end of our study of Hebrews, and I'm spending two Sundays speaking from Hebrews 11. Now, one of my uh, favorite TV shows when I, when I was growing up uh, was, um, was Batman. Yeah. Man, they really changed Batman lately. Uh, it's not the Batman I remember. Kapow! I used to love that show. But do you remember the Riddler? He was one of his uh, enemies, the Riddler. And uh, he always, the Riddler was uh, always up to no good, and, and he would uh, always give a clue to Batman and Robin about his uh, diabolical plans. But that clue always came in the form of a riddle. A riddle. And he used to say, riddle me this. Right? And, uh, and then he'd sort of lay out this riddle, and then Batman and Robin were trying to figure it out, because then they could get ahead of the crime. Last week, um, we were introduced to Hebrews 11 through the study of Rahab. Uh, uh, a pagan prostitute, um, Canaanite, who lived in a city that was being, had been condemned by God for destruction because of its sinful. On the one hand, Hebrews 11 is, is about a list of kind of hall of famers, if you will, uh, of people who were heroes of faith. They were people who we know from scriptures were people that trusted in God. God put a call on their life and they responded, responded in faith. Rahab is part of that list. There's Abel and, and Enoch and Noah and Abraham. These are names we know and, and stories, stories we know. All of these people, it says in, in Hebrews 11, verse 13, all of these people were still living by faith when they, when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If, if they've been thinking of a country they had, had left, they, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a, a heavenly one. Therefore, God isn't ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. And then, and then he goes on, he says, And one more shall I say, I, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and, and, and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign enemies or foreign armies. Those are the heroes of the faith. And, and each of their stories is outlined in Hebrews 11. You can read a little snippets, little, little Cole's notes of each of their uh, triumphs of faith. But you know, uh, Hebrews 11 is also about many, many unsung heroes 
People who will for all time remain nameless. Unsung heroes, if you will. But they were willing to die in order to be faithful to God. We read in verse 35, Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And so, yeah, there was the stories of the heroes of the faith. But also in Hebrews 11, we have the unsung heroes, the anonymous ones, the people that will never know their names, who were faithful to God and were worthy of inclusion in Hebrews 11, where they are held up as great examples to follow, people who are faithful to God. But Hebrews 11 closes with a very unique verse, a few verses. And it's kind of like a riddle, one that even the Riddler would be proud of, I'm sure. These were all commended for their faith. Now, now, now these were all, these as that list of people and all those anonymous unsung heroes they were commended for their faith. I'm just going to call them the ancients. <laughs> Some of you in here get called the ancients too. But um, they, they, you know, I'm going to call those guys the ancients. All right? And the ancients are these people who are accounted for in Hebrews 11, who are faithful. So these, the ancients, were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What? Boy, Batman and Robin must be going like this when they hear that. It's a riddle. It's, it's a puzzle. What is he talking about here? So let's play Batman and Robin. I'll be Batman. You could be Robin. And let's figure out what the author is suggesting. There seems to be sort of three components or parts of this riddle. And, and if we look at them separately, we might be able to get a better understanding of what this author is writing about. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So the first component, none of them received what had been promised. None of the ancients received what they had been promised. You know, sometimes um, <laughs> when you look at these, these sort of difficult passages, it's, it's helpful to sort of establish what is not meant by what had been promised. And so uh, what is not meant? Let me, let, me, let me think about that for a second. Let, let us think about it. 
You see, when I take a look at that list, and we'll, we'll just pull that list back up there again, I see individuals who did receive what they were promised. <coughs> like, for instance, Noah. <laughs> did he not receive deliverance from the great flood? Abraham and Sarah, did they not receive Isaac? The miracle baby? Moses, he was used powerfully to deliver Israel from slavery. Rahab, we know she, she was delivered. She, her family and her were saved from the, the, the decimation by Israel as they, the falls of Jericho came down. David certainly became the king of Israel, the greatest king ever. And you know, it's kind of interesting because the author actually says as much in the sense that he kind of says that they did get what they promised. So when he says none of them received what had been promised, and then we think about it, well, they did receive what they were promised. And then we see these words in, in uh, verse 33, they gained what was promised. So what's up? Bit of a puzzle, isn't it? They gained what was promised, but they didn't gain what was promised. So we're talking about two different things, right? They didn't gain something, but they did gain something else. So there's something else that they didn't gain. Here's another thing that the author must not mean. He doesn't mean that they did not gain righteousness. Now that's a puzzle in itself. <laughs> righteousness, folks, is what we want. It's the reason we reach out to God. You, you might have used the words, oh, save me. You might have said, I'm a sinner, I need you to cleanse me. What you're saying is, I want righteousness. What righteousness is, is just simply a status before God where things are good. It's all good. The slate has been wiped clean. You're in a good place with God. That's what righteousness is. And the fact of the matter is that we know that these folks were not out of luck because they were born before Jesus. Because it's Jesus that gives righteousness. Right? That's how you became righteous, by faith in Jesus Christ. Right? But these guys were born like hundreds of years before Jesus. They were without hope. Yet, we see that they were righteous. The Bible says as much. Don't believe me? Let's take a look at the word. James 2. Let's look at Rahab. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? People are hesitant to say this. I don't know why. Even I have a little reluctance to say it. But Rahab was born again. <laughs> she was righteous. She was saved. She was righteous. 
how does that work? She didn't even know about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't come for hundreds of years later, probably 450 years later. Jesus didn't die on the cross to take upon himself our sins. You see, Rahab, amazingly, is no different than the Apostle Paul, who wrote these words in Philippians 3. He's, he's talking actually about all the stuff that he you know, used to be proud of, being so perfect. He used to do everything perfect. Right? And, and he's talking about that, and then he says, What is more, I consider it all a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I, I consider that stuff that I used to take pride in garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law for doing the right things, but that which is through faith in Christ. So Rahab is no different than Paul both are righteous, and both and, and they're on either side of the coming of Jesus Christ, who brings righteousness. So, when we look at that expression, none of them received what had been promised, don't think it's righteousness. They didn't have righteousness because Jesus hadn't come. They had righteousness. They were born again. Those pillars of the faith. Even though they were around long before Jesus. So what is this promise? I think that's what we're getting to. What is this promise that they didn't get, but we did? The second and the third component. So the first one is, you know, this promise that they didn't get. The second and the third components, or parts of the riddle, I'll call it, may shed some light on this. The next part is that God had planned something better for us. Do you know how privileged you are? You have received something better than Abraham, than Moses, than Rahab. You have something, received something better. It's interesting, isn't it? What is it? So whatever was promised was not given to the ancients, but it seems it was given to us. And, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not being, you know, ridiculous with this expression of us. Like, he's, he's not referring to just the readers of that specific letter. This is a letter that would be going to many churches, and it seems to be directed to the early church. And we're part of the church, not the early church, but we're part of the church. So I believe he's talking about you and me, too. We're the us, if you will. So whatever was promised was not given to the ancients, but it seems was given to us, that's you and me. The answer the author, I should say, is writing to the early church, and we are the church too. And then his third component, or the third piece of the puzzle, if you will, or the riddle, seems to me to be the most telling because it suggests that the promise has something to do with perfection. Only together with us would they be made perfect. 
a perfection that comes to both the ancients and to us, the church. So, all right, hopefully I'm not getting you more confused, but I'm going to rewrite the riddle now so that it's a little bit maybe less obtuse. Here it is. What was promised to the ancients that was only received by the church, which makes both perfect? Let me say that again. What was promised to the ancients that was only received by the church, which makes both perfect? Come on, Robin, I need your help. What do you think? The Holy Spirit? It's a good answer. Messiah. Part of the answer. Messiah, Jesus Christ, part of the answer. Together the answer, Holy Spirit, Jesus, you're getting there. Eternal life. The new, the new covenant, what's that? Eternal life. Eternal life, which is part of what we get through Jesus Christ. Exactly. So, keep this in mind. Both the ancients, let's think of Rahab, and the church, let's think of Paul, who started many of the church, many of the churches, are made righteous by faith. Do you know that righteousness is a standing before God that requires perfection? We don't like to say words like this either. Because <laughs> we all know we're not perfect. But before God you are. Because when he sees you, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see your <laughs> sins and screw-ups and mess-ups. He sees Jesus. And guess what, folks? Jesus is perfect. And so, when the Bible says the ancients were righteous, and the folks of the church are righteous, he's saying that they're both made perfect and so the answer to the riddle is Jesus Christ, who initiated the coming of the Holy Spirit, who provides eternal life to the perfect ones, right? So the answer to the riddle is Jesus. The, the promise that was realized by the church that brought perfection to both the ancients and the church was Jesus Christ. He is... The answer to the riddle. Now some of you are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. How were the ancients promised Jesus Christ? I'm an Old Testament theologian. And I know the Old Testament and the law better than any of you. I'm making this up, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly I'm not. <laughs> and I don't see the words Jesus Christ anywhere in the Old Testament. Nobody's promised Jesus Christ. Come on, Tim. You're making this stuff up. Hmm. Well, not in so many words. I love that expression. <laughs> not in so many words. But let's take a look at the promise that I think the writer of Hebrews is referring to, which gets referred to all the time. It's in Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. 
I'll be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember them, their sins, no more. That's perfection. <clears throat> That's being perfect. When your sins are erased, you are perfect. All right. So these, this is the promise that was given to the ancients about the coming Messiah. Who initiated that new covenant? Look at the words of Jesus to his disciples at the table. We call it the Lord's Supper. We just celebrated it. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So God made a promise of a new covenant. Jesus said, It started, boys. Right here, right now, with me. This is the fulfillment or the realization of the promise that had been given to the ancients. I'm, Jesus says, in other words, the realization of the promise given to the ancients, which makes you perfect. Look what it says in Hebrews 10. We, did, we read this, we did this earlier. For by one sacrifice, he, that's Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's you. And that's the ancients. Paul sums this up really nicely in Romans 3. It's a passage I read to you earlier at communion. I want to read it again. Because there's a really important phrase in there that sort of ties this all together that helps us understand how the ancients could be made righteous or perfect, but only, be, only by something that would happen in the future, the coming of Jesus Christ. He writes this, But now, apart from the law, righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. In other words, if God had not planned Jesus Christ to come and do the thing that makes us righteous and perfect, those ancients didn't stand a chance. <laughs> if Jesus just showed up and did that, it would only be anybody after him that would be saved and made right and made perfect. But because... God knew all along that he was sending his son Jesus Christ at just the right time 
Scripture says. Even the people who should have received judgment were saved because of their faith. And you could actually say it. And the, pro, and the, the writer of Hebrews is definitely insinuating they were saved by their faith in Jesus Christ. Even though he is, they wouldn't know who Jesus Christ is. In reality, they're saved by Jesus Christ. And so they didn't receive the punishment that they should have got because they were before Jesus came and made people righteous, made people perfect. God is gracious. <laughs> and in his forbearance, he did not punish the sins because he knew that Jesus was going to come and be the atonement to take care of those sins that were committed hundreds and thousands of years before. All they had to do, all we have to do, is what? Have faith. Isn't that amazing? Just because Jesus had not yet come doesn't mean that the ancients were condemned to die without salvation. God was gracious, and he saved the faithful. He made them righteous. He accepted them as perfect, knowing that Christ would do a work. I think of it in this way. I think there's a mortgage. Sorry to bring it up. Don't you hate that? But you know what? Colleen and I have a mortgage. Surprise, surprise. So I got a mortgage, right? But guess what? I live in that house as if I own it, right? Actually, even the bank, when they ask me, do you own your home? I say, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got a mortgage. I don't own that home. Matter of fact, they could come and take it away from me, couldn't they? If I stopped paying my payments. But the thing is, I get to enjoy and live as though I have paid for the house even before the day when we write, rip up the mortgage. Right? That day will be a wonderful day. But the thing is, there will be that day. And yet I get to live as though I own that house. It's the same thing for the ancients. <laughs> the day of ripping up the mortgage came when Jesus Christ died on the cross. <laughs> right? But they got to live as though they were born again Christians. And died. As though they were born again Christians. Until that day. You get it? So Jesus is the solution to the author's riddle. None of the ancients had received the promise, that is Jesus Christ, the promise of a new covenant that was put into effect by Jesus. God had planned even in the days of the ancients that Jesus Christ, the promised Savior, would come to establish his church. He is the something better that we get to enjoy. Do you understand how easy it is for us? We live after Jesus, right? 
We have, there's, you know, God's grace and His, His revelation of His great plan is no longer a mystery to us. But these folks, the ancients, didn't have the full picture. They saw it kind of in shadows. They saw it kind of through the fog. And both the ancients and the church are made perfect through Jesus Christ. I, I want to read John Gill. He's a commentator. I don't often quote commentaries to you, but this one's so good. And I want you to hear it. How he writes about this riddle that we've been talking about. Jesus Christ was the same in the yesterday of the Old Testament as he is in the present day of the gospel dispensation. The dispensations. He was slain before the foundation of the world, and the saints then were saved as now, by his grace and righteousness, only with this difference between them and us. They had Christ in the promise. You know that new covenant? I will put my law in their hearts. They had Christ in the promise. We have himself that was promised. We have Jesus. They had him in type and shadow. We have him in reality and truth. They believed in and were saved by Christ who was to come. We believed in him and are saved by him as, as being come. The Old Testament saints are perfectly justified, perfectly sanctified, and perfectly glorified. But their perfection was not by the law, which made nothing perfect, but by Christ and through his sacrifice, blood, and righteousness. And so we're not made perfect without us, since their sins and ours are expiated, expiated, can't say that word, together by the same sacrifice. Their persons and ours justified together by the same righteousness. They had, uh, they and we make up one church. The Apostle Paul says, the mystery has been revealed to us, the church. Colossians 2, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, Tim, we could have just gone to Colossians 2 and found the answer to the riddle, namely Christ. That's the answer. We're a privileged people, folks. We have had the mystery of Christ revealed, and yet for many people, it's still not compelling. But for the ancients, the church, the true believers, the realization of God's promises in Jesus Christ is the secret to our lives. And, and this is, I really think, why he wrote Hebrews 11, should be an encouragement to us to soldier on, to keep the faith. I think this because when I look at the next verse after the end of chapter 11, which is the riddle that we've taken a look at, he begins with these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you may not grow weary 
and lose heart. His reason for talking about all those folks in Hebrews 11 was to encourage us. And they didn't even have the mystery revealed to them. I don't know how God's going to figure this out. But it seems important to Jesus, in my understanding. Do you remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas? I won't believe until I see proof. What did Jesus say? You believe because you have seen. <laughs> Blessed are those who believe and yet haven't even seen. Hats off to the ancients. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. At times it seems like a puzzle. But if we dig hard enough and we allow your Holy Spirit to guide us, we find truth. And it always makes sense. There's always an answer. <coughs> we thank you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be inspired, just as the writer of Hebrews is trying to do, to, to persevere and to soldier on. We've had the mystery revealed. We know you. We get the big picture. We understand it. Help us, Lord, not to take it for granted or to be little in any way, but to let it be an inspiration for us. As we go downstairs now and enjoy our, our potluck, I pray, Lord, that you just bless our time. And we do thank you for the food that we're about to receive in Jesus' name.